you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number six of the Lone Gunman Podcast. This is your boy Rob Clark coming at you tonight. And first, let me start off by saying this. My buddy Doug Campbell is doing such a great job over at the Dallas Action that he caught the eye of one Leno Sanic, or caught the ear, I should say, and intrigued Len enough to call him up and get him on Black Op Radio last night. I mean, it's kind of surreal. You know, me and Doug, we had talked about this and um, just, just you know, to clear it up, you know, we're not dueling podcasts. You know, we didn't steal the idea from each other. We originally wanted to do this as a team, but the logistics of the situation just... Right now, we—it's just over our heads, really. Um, <coughs> excuse me, but Doug came up with the idea. Let's do a podcast, you know. So we looked into it a little bit and said, "Well, we can't really do one together, but hey, we can do our own, you know, and help each other out," which is what we're doing, and. I still can't believe it when I'm driving down the road this morning and I check Black Op Radio archives. And there he is, my buddy Doug, live and on the radio on Black Op talking to Lynn. It's just crazy and mad, mad congratulations to him because he deserves it. I knew from the first minute I talked to this dude on the phone that he, he knew his stuff and he, that he was a good researcher, and he's, he's, he's on point. And I knew he'd do a great job with the podcast, and he has, and he's killed it. He's knocked it out of the park. He's hit a home run. But people, it's just the beginning, you see? You know, we're, we're branching out. We're trying something new. Yes, there's Black Hawk Radio. Yes, people have done radio shows about this before. But we wanted to be... The first regular podcast, you know, centering around the JFK stuff and do and do it up big. And that's what we're trying to do. But anyway, congratulations to Doug. Check him out on Spreaker at the Dallas Action. Search Doug Campbell or search the uh, Dallas Action. And you can find him on Facebook too. He has a page on Facebook where he posts all his podcasts. And go to Black Op Radio. Get in the archives. May 22nd, it's right there. Download it, listen to it. Write Lynn, let you know that it, 
let him know that you loved it and you want to hear more of Doug. Never have too much of Doug. It's a good thing. All right, tonight, people, I want to look a bit, little bit into the phenomenon known as first day testimony. And Doug touched a little bit on this in his in his podcast um, with the affidavits of Seymour Weitzman and uh, was it Deputy Boone, Deputy Boone and you know with them saying that the rifle was a 7.65 Mauser and even 24 hours after they found the rifle they signed affidavits stating this now this tells me that a Mauser was found in the Texas School Book Depository and that either somewhere a day or two later the narrative had to change okay it had to become a Carcano why that's a good question and the other question I have is did they find a Carcano too because in other first day testimony and this was put out on television, on the radio, in the newspapers, that the rifle was found on the fifth floor, not the sixth. So we have a rifle found on the fifth floor, we have a rifle found on the sixth floor, we have a Mauser, and we have a Carcano. Now, were there two rifles, and they needed to get rid of one to make it a lone gunman? A lone demented nut. Because if they have two guns in the building, then they have to find another gunman. Then it becomes a conspiracy. Then it, it's not just one crazy dude anymore. And I know Weitzman and Boone signed the affidavits, but you also have to listen to Roger Craig. Okay, the man was there. And people like to point to the fact that he was that he was depressed, that he was looking for fame and money, you know, when he when he when he told us what he what he saw. But I just don't think that's the case. <clears throat> I mean, I could see, you know, years years later you know, if he's down and out and trying to make a book off this thing, but from the day one, from that day, I mean, we're talking minutes, hours after it happened, he's telling Fritz how he saw Lee Oswald come down the grassy embankment with somebody else and get in an old Nash Rambler, what looked like to be a Nash Rambler, with a heavy set colored gentleman driving. <clears throat> and after seeing Oswald in custody, he he said, that's the guy that I saw. But, and I forgot about this when I did my Oswald doubles, because that's number seven. Okay, because we have Oswald being seen by Roger Craig getting in a Rambler. And then over here, you know... That's not the official story of how Oswald left the building. 
Okay, we have him going out, um, talking to the police, then he talked to a reporter, they asked where the phone was, and then we have Buell Wesley Frazier telling us that Oswald went down the steps, took a left, headed toward Houston, and then to Maine, and he lost sight of him. So there's your seventh Oswald double. If you include Roger, Roger Craig's Oswald that he saw. Now, so you, you have that testimony from Roger Craig that day, okay? And he's stating that he saw, it said right clearly on the gun, 7.65 Mauser. There's no reason to lie, okay? The man was a decorated detective, you know, with the Dallas police, or the Dallas... Dallas Sheriff's or Dallas City Police? I think he was with the Sheriff's. But anyway, he was a decorated cop. Okay? He had no reason to lie. He was on it from, from the jump street. And when you take his testimony uh, with the two affidavits we have with news reports it becomes pretty clear that there's a problem with the rifle and even which floor it was found on. You know, I've seen a couple places where it's, it's said it was found, there was a rifle found on the fifth floor right inside the stairwell. I mean, right inside the fifth floor, right from the stairwell. And the problem on the fifth floor is you have three black guys that were supposedly watching the parade from up there and we even have them captured in the window from the uh, I think it's a PAL photograph and it's hard to imagine that <sighs> alright we have Bonnie Ray Williams up on the 6th floor eating his lunch you know almost maybe 10 minutes before the assassination and it's hard to fathom that somebody's just up there sitting behind the boxes, totally quiet, while Bonnie Ray's up there eating his chicken and drinking his drink. And they're just sweating bullets, you know, hoping this guy leaves, you know, before the president comes by, which he does. And then we have Jack Doherty stating, stating that he was on the fifth floor at the time of the shots. So you got Jack Doherty and you got <clears throat> the three the three black guys on the fifth floor. <clears throat> but we also have a rifle found on the fifth floor. We have a rifle on the sixth floor. There's a problem. There's a big problem. The reports had to be changed. The rifle had to be narrowed down to one to suit, you know, pinning it on Oswald. And like I've said before, there's problems with the rifle as far as that even being Oswald's. And some researchers like to argue about that. But let's look at the uh, first day testimony now of uh, Bill Newman and his wife Gail. They were standing almost 10 feet away from the, from the, from the limousine when JFK had his head blown off. 
These are the closest witnesses to the assassination. And immediately following the assassination, there was a news guy that grabbed them up and took, brought them to the television station and put them on the air. Th them and their two kids. And he interviews them, and this is what Bill tells us. He says, shots came from behind him, up on the little grassy, grassy part. And this is, <clears throat> excuse me, the freshest recollection of what just happened that we have. Okay, and, and they felt real strongly that the shots were coming from behind them. That's why they got down. That's why they covered their children there on the knoll. But right before that, Bill tells, he says, you know, the president's going by, he's hearing the shots. And then he says, oh, all of a sudden, the president almost stood up in his seat. And then, bam, he's shot in the head. Now, we don't see that in the Zapruder film, where the president is almost standing up in his seat. You know, what we see at about the time that he's going past the Newmans is him slumping to the left and kind of being propped up by Jackie. So was Bill Newman mistaken? I mean, it's pretty, pretty hard to mistake somebody standing up in their seat for being slumped over. And if he's not lying, why isn't it in the Zapruder film? You know, it's, and there's, there's, and people like to argue all the time whether or not this is a pruder film is faked or not. I believe that it wasn't faked so much as it was altered. You know, maybe with uh, frames taken out to conceal a slowdown or stop. And maybe some things painted out, maybe some things painted in, nothing too crazy. But it could be easily done if, if they just reshot the film frame by frame on these machines. They have it. It's almost like a, you know, they run the film and, they, and then they shoot it frame by frame. But you can take a, a clear plastic overlay, lay it on the frame, and draw what you need to draw right on top of the frame. And then you reshoot that frame. And then you move to the next one. And it's just a clear... Piece of about piece of cellophane that you lay down on the frame. You draw in what you need to draw in, or you draw out what you want to draw out, and it's really not that hard to do. And these people knew what they were doing, and they had the capabilities to do it. Like I said, it's nothing fancy. You take some frames out, splice some things here, you know, do a little bit of painting in, painting out. Maybe fill in uh, some of the splatter, you know, green grass. And that's not the only anomalies in, in the uh, Zapruder film, by the way. But I'm not going to get into that right now. <clears throat> We're going to stick with first day testimonies. So that's Bill and Gail Newman, who tell us what they saw. And uh, it doesn't quite match what we see in the Zapruder film. <clears throat> and, of course, Bill and Gail would go on to change their story later you know, after they were testifying to the Warren Commission about where they thought the shots were coming from. And uh, they eventually changed their story to, well, behind us, meaning the uh, the book depository. Because that's where they told us 
that they came from. Which is fine. I mean, you know, these are naive people. And uh, it is what it is. Now, we're going to switch gears and look at Mr. Marion Baker's first day testimony. Now, this is a, this is a funny one here. <clears throat> because we all know the story of Marion Baker seeing the pigeons fly off the top of the Texas School Book Depository. And he thought to himself that that's where the shots might have come from. So he guns it over to the Texas School Book Depository, parks his bike, gets off his bike, he's rushing in. And uh, the, the building superintendent sees him doing this, so he runs to catch up to him because he knows his way around the building. And they run into the lobby, and they immediately run over and try to catch the elevators up. And truly calls up for an elevator. They're stuck on the fifth floor. They're not coming down. Excuse me. So they run to the back staircase, and they proceed to go up. And we all know the official story where Marion Baker supposedly sees through the window in the door you know this guy in the lunchroom so he goes in there holds a gun on him and then truly comes in and says oh no that guy works here he's fine Oswald didn't say anything they turn around and keep going up now with Marion Baker's first day affidavit his handwritten one he states nothing about the second floor lunchroom encounter. It's not in there. Okay, he talks of meeting a man in the stairwell on the third or fourth floor wearing a light brown sports jacket and truly coming up saying, no, that guy's good, he works here, and they keep going up. Now... This is where it gets tricky because <clears throat> this narrative is lost quickly and it almost seems that uh, because truly his affidavit gives us the second room encounter and this couldn't have been Oswald that they met on the third or fourth floor. Because later on, in the police station, Baker couldn't even be sure if it was the same guy. You know, and they got the suspect sitting here, sitting right there. And even Marion Baker comments that, uh, because at this time, of course, Oswald is wearing his dark, rust-brown, orangey-looking, ugly-ass shirt that he's arrested in. And he says, uh... Yeah, that kind of looks like the guy, but uh, I'm pretty sure the guy had a light brown shirt on when I saw him in the in the in the uh, depository. Now, if we go to the, the pictures of Oswald's belongings at the North Beckley uh, rooming house. You know, of course, the DPD did inventory of all the items in, found in there. And in his dirty laundry, 
Oswald had a long sleeve, light brown, what we call today khaki shirt. So was he actually wearing this light brown shirt to work that day? It's hard to say. A lot of people said that that day that he just worked in his t-shirt. Which is believable. I mean, you know, you're, you're doing work. You take your shirt off, you take your jacket off, and, you know, you're doing work. That's how a lot of guys did it back then because laundry was a pain in the ass back then. I mean, it still is, but it was a lot worse back then. And if they didn't have to get anything dirty, they didn't. Okay, so if he wore this extra shirt over his white t-shirt, chances are when he got to work, he took it off before he actually started working. So, now going back to what Marion Baker said originally, met a guy on the third or fourth floor in a light brown jacket or shirt. Was that Oswald on the third or fourth floor? Well, if it was, then things aren't looking too good for Mr. Oswald. Which, if it was, why did they make up this story about the lunchroom encounter? That's what I can't understand. Because they've got a mystery man on the third or fourth floor. Which would have helped the Warren Commission put Oswald closer to that sixth floor. But they didn't use it. They stuck with this second floor encounter. And I don't know if it's because Truly messed it up. Because we also have the testimony from Starvis Ellis. He was another officer with the DPD. And a friend of Marion Baker's. And when Marion Baker recounted the story of, you know, him going into there and, and uh, you know, rushing into the TSBD, he told Starvis Ellis the same thing. <clears throat> and this was days later. He said he, they ran in, got up to the third or fourth floor, he couldn't remember which, and encountered somebody. And then, of course, you know, kept going. And this was after... Baker had had his testimony fixed in his typed affidavit. So there's another anomaly. It's hard to say exactly what happened. I mean, when you look back and you try to examine what happened, it's so convoluted. You know, you got testimony being changed from the first day. And you don't know what to believe. I mean, in my opinion, the first day testimony would be the most accurate you know, before it's had a chance to be corrupted. But why didn't they just... I mean, are these the ones that slipped through? You know, or... <clears throat> is there more that was changed that we just don't even know about? That they had to get rid of? It's hard to say. But when you go back and you try to piece together what happened that day... Using the first day testimony... You get a very different picture of what exactly was going on than the, than the official story that we've been fed for all these years. 
And that's what I mean by going back and trying to look at things in a new light. Trying to separate all the bullshit from the truth. And it's hard to do. Because who do you believe? You know, do you believe the first day, the first day testimony of these people? And like Doug was saying, with the military intelligence angle, and even with the CIA, I read somewhere that there was at least 60 military intelligence assets in the Dallas Police Department. 60. On their force of, what was it? 200 or, or however, no, 600 guys. They had at least 60. So 10% of the force was reporting back to military intelligence about things, which is a pretty significant number. And when you look at it, it makes sense because a lot of these cops came back, you know, from serving in World War II and joined their local police forces. And I'm sure, you know, on dismissal, they were told, hey, you know, while you're out there, if you're a cop, you see anything that has to do with another military person, let us know. You know, and we'll we'll kick you a couple bucks. And I'm sure that's how it went. You know, and like Doug said, there was at least one full-time undercover guy on the force but you got 60 reporting back to various intelligence agencies some could have been reporting to the FBI some could have been reporting to the CIA you know they had their tendrils all over the United States too because back then it was a big mess and this this is how they had to do things because you know, there was no cell phones, there was no instantaneous communication, there was no, you know, computer system that anybody could access where they could look up information. You know, it was a very personal, people-driven, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was a people-driven enterprise, intelligence gathering. And believe me, the military wanted to know what their guys were doing when they got home. So that's it for this one. Just wanted to take a look at some of this first day stuff. And try to get people to take a new look at it. And uh, get away from the official story of the Warren Commission. For Christ's sake. It's been 50 years. Throw it out the window. Ball it up. Set it on fire. Get it gone. You know we need to look at this stuff from a new light. We need to figure out, you know, what what really happened that day, if we're ever going to get to the truth. And the truth is the only thing that matters. But that's it for this one. Episode 6 is in the can. Alright. Thank you everyone for listening. This podcast got a big jump. Thanks to Doug and him plugging it on Black Op Radio. Mad props to you, brother. And great job. It's only going to get bigger and better, people. Anything you want to hear about, let us know. You can find us on Spreaker. You can find us on Facebook. 
Feel free to like, comment, share. Tell a friend. Let them know what we're doing. And uh, spread the word. Help us spread the word. And uh, that's the only way it's going to grow. You know, we don't have this big, big financial backing here. So we rely on word of mouth to help us out. And we appreciate each and every one of you. And, uh, you know, keep, keep researching. Keep JFK's memory alive. And keep fighting for the truth, people. This is Rob Clark thanking you for listening. And until next time, America, peace. right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.